0: Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. So back in the 80s, um, there was a band called Huey Lewis and the News, a local band, but they had a national hit. um, And the chorus to it went something like this, don't take money, don't take fame, don't take no credit card to ride this train, it's strong and it's sudden. Um, and it's cruel sometimes, but it just might save your life. That's the Power of love. Okay, some of you, Then, if anybody here that's over, like under 30, they're going, huh? I have no idea what he's talking about, okay? It was part of a movie, actually. And, um, and those two things, by the way, power and love and love and power, those have been the themes of songs and of movies and plays and novels uh, down through history. They're two of the strongest forces that there are. And, and they have the power to, to affect our lives, our, our, our families, our relationships, um, our communities, even our world. And, and sometimes we get a little confused between those two things. Um, it can be wonderful, but it can also be horrible when it's abused. And, and this whole idea of, of, of power and love. And, and I think historically when the church has gone more after pursuing the love of power... The church has always suffered in that because we've forgotten, we've forgotten that the true power of the church is the power of love. And oftentimes throughout history, when the church has pursued a love of power, they have forgotten the power of love. And Jesus said, no, that's the most powerful thing you have to offer. He said to his disciples, he said, "Um, love one another. We looked at this last week, love one another. I'm telling you, this is a new command. Love one another as I have loved you. Love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my followers if you love one another. It's really that simple, and yet it is incredibly demanding. And in this series, as we've been going through what it means to be the church, today we're going to be talking about what it means to be loving. And this week, last week, and the week before that, those three weeks are just kind of hang together um, really, really closely. So if you've missed last week for some reason, or you missed the week before, I really encourage you, go back, listen to the podcast, go online, watch the video, whatever you can, because these three all hang together. Knowing God's grace and its power in our lives, and then being united together as a church family, that is something incredibly powerful when it is brought together by what we're going to talk about today, about being loving. And it's really actually at the heart of Paul's prayer. We've been looking at a letter that he wrote to a church in a city called Ephesus. And and he writes to them about all of these things. And he closes off this first section of the letter with a prayer. And that's what we're going to look at today. If you want to turn there, it's in Ephesians chapter 3. We're going to begin in verse 14. It's actually a shorter passage today, but it's just, it's a prayer. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, and to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. He's saying the greatest source... Of power that the church has is the love of Christ. That, that, if you don't get anything, in fact, he says this is so important. I pray that you would grasp this. I pray that you would fully understand and, and know this kind of love. And, and and it's so important. It's almost like he's saying, if you don't get this, then you don't get the church. If you don't get this, you don't get what it is that God is doing in this world. It all hangs on this. It's what Jesus said. It was this simple. Just love God, love people. Love God, love others. That's why Paul prays this, that you be rooted, rooted in this, rooted and established in this. Now, one of the things about this is that you got to understand is this is, doesn't happen by your own willpower. That's why he makes it a prayer. And, and it's hard work. Love is hard, hard work. But fortunately, in this prayer, Paul gives a few hints on what it would look like on our part. Yes, God does his work, but there's some things that we can do. And so that's what I want to talk to you about today, um, this whole idea of how to become more loving. And I think it starts with this, that to become more loving, to become loving as God would have us be, we need to surrender our own rights and our self-interest. He starts with this prayer that I pray out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. His prayer for power is that prayer for the power of love. He develops it a little bit later, but that's what he's talking about. And he talks about it in the sense that, that, that it becomes from the dwelling of Christ within you, in your inner being. That this is something that God, by his Holy Spirit, has to do within you. But you have a part to play. And your part to play and my part to play and this is the part of surrender. It, it's letting go. He talks about this idea that, that, that Christ may dwell in your heart. Now, our, our New Testament was originally written in the Greek language. And so um, what we have are English translations of that. And there's actually two different words that could be used for that idea of dwelling or inhabiting. And one is kind of a more a softer term. The one that Paul chooses here is a very, very strong word, and it has to do with this. It would be like, it would be kind of like if you if you bought a fixer upper. Okay, you watch Home Garden TV or DIY Network, you know, and you see all these people transform these houses. You go, I could do that, and so you go and you buy this fixer up this rundown. Broken down house with all kinds of problems to it, but you say I'm going to make it beautiful. So you buy the house, and immediately you got to do the major structural work. Like maybe there's a bad foundation, so you got to do some work on the foundation, or or the roof leaks, and so you got to do a whole roof repair on that. And then you get into it, and you find out the wiring is all bad, and it's a fire hazard. And so you got to rewire the whole house, and you got to replumb the whole house, and you do all of that really hard, important work. And then, and then you start to put it together after your own tastes. And so you choose paint color on the walls that you want for your house. And then you, then you get to start into the, the kitchen and you want to redesign the kitchen because it doesn't fit the way that you like to entertain. And so you remodel the whole kitchen. You pick out new countertops and new cabinets and then you get into the master bedroom and you redo that and the bathrooms and change everything. And then over a period of time, after you've done all of the major structural work, then you start to make this house your own. And eventually it becomes your dwelling place. It reflects your taste. It reflects your values. It reflects your character. It's your house, okay? That whole kind of big idea is what Paul is getting at here. It's like you turn over your life to Christ and he moves in. And the first thing he does is all that major structural work. And you know what it is, okay? So he had to redo the foundation. He had to rewire the whole place, replumb the whole place, fix the leaky roof, all of that kind of stuff. And then, then over a period of time, then he starts to work on some of the smaller things. And he starts to redesign. And he does all of that work in you so that it would become a dwelling place for him that reflects his values and his tastes And his character, that your life becomes a dwelling place for Christ. That makes sense. Okay, that's what he's talking about. Now, for that to happen, that requires surrender. That requires letting go of control. In fact, it takes surrender on the soul level. But it opens the door to love. See, love always starts with surrender. When, when thirty nine years ago. 39 years, 39 years ago, um, when I stood on on the front of a church and and said these vows to my wife, I was surrendering to some degree. I was surrendering my own rights and my self-interest because as long as I stay single, I could pretty much make any decision I want to make and it it only really affects me. But now, now when I get married, all of a sudden, every decision I make in fact impacts somebody else. I don't get to just think about myself anymore. I have to think about my wife. I have to think about my family as it grew. See, love always requires a bit of surrender, and it starts with our surrender to God when we're talking about his kind of love, and it's a soul-level surrender. John Ortberg writes, there is no way for a human being to come to God that does not involve surrender because Jesus Christ doesn't enter our lives to rearrange the outside the way that we want. He comes to rearrange the inside the way God wants. And that requires surrender. Now, we hear the word surrender, and that sounds like weakness. Okay, But the truth is, surrender takes a great deal of strength. Because it goes against everything that is deep within us. Because we fight for control. We fight to be in charge. We fight for our own self-interest. Every fiber of our being looks out for number one. We live in a culture that, that, that that's it. I mean, everybody is fighting for their rights. And if you do something that offends me, you're the one that has to change. Not me. You have to change. See, that's the way our culture operates. That's the way we operate. We all have these control issues. Um, David and Janet Congo wrote a book a number of years ago called um, The Power of Love. And it was all about um, the power of love and the love of power at work in our relationships. And they actually came up with a list of about 25 statements to see, do you have control issues? So I'm only going to use 10 of them, but I'd like you to take out your notes. Okay. And just for every one of these statements that reflects, yeah, that's true about me. Okay. Just make a little tick mark on your outline there. All right. So let me go through just 10, 10 signs. Okay. First one, I get upset when I don't get my way if that's true you just make one little tick mark okay number two I have little patience with other people's incompetence number three I have an unusual capacity to make right decisions number four I often feel like others aren't doing their part number five when things are out of control I feel uniquely qualified to manage the situation. Number six, I react defensively when others question my decisions or opinions. Number seven, I have a difficult time asking for help. Eight, I crave competition, and winning is very important to me. Number nine, I am adept at influencing other people's opinions. And the last one, I always hold the TV remote. (laughs) Now, if you answered yes to seven or more of those, you might just have a control issue, okay? The chances are we all have it at some level. There are some things we fight for control. But but, but he says, listen, when you fight for control, when you fight for your rights, when you fight for your self-interest, you are closing the door to love. Because love always requires surrender. And what he reminds us is that that ultimately that's for our good. Surrender sounds like I'm just just giving up on everything and I'm going to lose everything. But he says, no, no, no. Do this based on God's glorious riches. That he really has your best interest at heart. And that when you surrender, good things happen. It really is an act of faith. And what it does is it opens the door To love. Give you some examples. When I surrender control over my life, one of the things that I surrender is I give up control of my mouth, which means that I am no longer allowed to gossip or to lie or to berate other people or belittle them or manipulate them or exaggerate. See, all of those things are things I give up the rights to when I surrender control. When I surrender control, I give up the rights to my wallet. It's no longer my money. See, it's God's money, and I have a steward of that. But what that does is that allows me to be more generous, which is an act of love. See, when I give up controls, I surrender the right to be in charge of my ego, which means that I learn to celebrate the successes of others as much as I would uh, celebrate my own. And that I'm no longer in competition with other people. I can be a companion. You see what, what it looks like? That's how it opens the door to love. When I give up control, I don't, I, I'm no longer allowed to have my little pity parties when somebody offends me or, or you know, turns me the wrong way. I, I give up that right. Because it's not about me anymore. This is why love is such hard work because it's tough to let go of control. It's tough to give up those things because we are so consumed with ourselves and self-interest that we actually close the door to love when we do that. When we let go of that stuff, it opens the door to love and allows the next step, which is then we'll need to focus our attention on other people. That we shift our attention and our focus off of ourselves and we put it on other people. That's what he says. He goes on. He says, I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. See, what he's saying is that that kind of love can only be fully realized and only be fully grasped in the company of other people. Because other than, other than that, then love is just a theory. It, I say it's real easy to consider myself to be a loving person if I don't have to interact with anybody. I can have all kinds of warm feelings about people, but I don't do anything with it. Then I'm just deluding myself because real love involves other people. He talks about being rooted and established in love. And that takes other people to do that. Do you know that the tallest trees in in the world are right here in our backyard, Northern California, the the giant sequoia redwoods. Um, I think the tallest one is somewhere around um, 379 feet tall. Would it surprise you to know that the root system of the giant sequoia redwoods only goes about six feet deep? That's just like a little bit over my head. How in the world does an almost 400 foot tall tree stay standing when its roots only go down six feet? It's an interesting fact about sequoia redwoods their roots don't go down deep, they go wide. And what they actually do is they intertwine and interconnect and in some cases even fuse together with other giant redwood trees. That's why you see redwood trees in groves. That's what gives them the strength to stand up to the storms and the winds and all that come at them. Because they are rooted together. Their roots intertwine. And it really in some ways almost becomes like just one giant tree sprouting up on all kinds of different places. I think that's kind of the idea Behind what Paul is talking about. Being rooted and established like God's love is the soil. But it's our interconnections and our intertwined roots with each other. That provide the stability. And also provides the nutrients that help us grow. That we need each other. That's why he says that you may have power together with all the Lord's holy people. That we only fully grasp the the full dimensions of God's love when we are in community because love is something that you do not something that you feel it's something that you do and that's why throughout this letter to the ephesian church paul emphasizes that what christ did on the cross was not just about your vertical relationship with god that is also your relationships with other people It's what Jesus talked about. It's what Paul keeps talking about. That we've been reconciled by the cross. We've been reconciled to God, but we also have reconciled with each other. That's where unity comes in. That's where grace comes in. That's the expression of his love. If you think about it, even the cross itself is is symbolic of that. That there is a vertical post, but there is also a horizontal cross member. And it's a constant reminder to us that God's love is not just about me and God it's about me and God and me and the people around me it's all about what happens in our relationships with each other which means which means that every every conversation every interaction that you have with another person is not merely a human interaction There is something spiritual going on in every conversation that you have, in every interaction, in every relationship that you have. God is a part of that, unseen, but he is at work in that. If we had some time this afternoon um, and, and the transparency and the openness among us and the safety among us to be able to go around this room and have everybody share where they're at and what their life story is and what they're dealing with right now, you would be amazed. Because I just hear a fraction of, you have no idea what the person sitting next to you is going through right now. You don't know their hurts. You don't know their fears. You don't know their losses. You don't know their struggles and their doubts. You don't know. You have no idea what's going on in their life. But what God designed the church for was to be a safe place where we could find that person. And when we gather together, you are an important part of that. And just your presence here offers a help to somebody else. Your smile, your handshake, your listening ear, whatever it might be, can be just the thing that that person needs today. That's why why the New Testament is so filled with all of these one another's. Because we need every one of us. We need each other. Even, even this letter of Paul to the, to the Ephesian church, even in just the next couple of chapters, there's at least six different things that he says be within, with one another. Be patient. Be bearing with one another in love. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. They you know, All of these one another's. Because that is how the full dimension of God's love is experienced and made in our lives when we love one another when we are kind and compassionate with one another when we forgive one another and by the way every one of these is about you taking the initiative when when I do premarital counseling with couples and talk about this idea of mutual submission and and giving up your own personal rights and self-interest now um, but what you get in that mix is um, you get love You get intimacy, you get a a partner for life. Now, when I tell them that, I said, Now, here's the thing about this whole submission thing you have to be the one to take initiative. Because if both of you sit back and you wait, well, I'll do it if she'll do it, or I'll do it if he'll do it. If you wait for the other person to take the initiative, it will never happen. You are the one that takes the initiative. And what happens is, Something supernatural in the middle of that. And that's kind of the last part of this. That what we'll need to do is let God be our source of fulfillment. Because when you surrender your own rights and your own self-interest, when you start taking care of and, and pay more attention to those around you than you do yourself, that God does something in the mix of all of that. Something absolutely supernatural. Paul put it this way. So that you will know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God that you would know this love that surpasses knowledge now that what does that mean well it's this it's that this idea of God's love moves from your head to your heart it becomes something that's not just theory anymore it's something that you put into practice and he says, "This is it, this, it's so unbelievable that I cannot even describe it to you. He talks about it as this love that surpasses knowledge. And as he describes it, he just it's like he piles words on top of words on top of words. And it's like he's trying to convey something that you can't adequately convey. Have you ever done this? Have you ever been had an experience or been in an event or, or been somewhere where you just experienced something and then afterward you tried to describe it to somebody else and you talked about this and we did that and then this happened and then that happened and all this stuff. And then, and then finally, as you realize, as you're trying to explain that whole thing you can't possibly explain it so you just kind of get to the point like, you know you, you just had to be there you ever felt that way about something or have you ever like, gone and seen like, a beautiful sunset or, or, or maybe seen been somewhere in just a beautiful, you know, beautiful scenery and you took a picture of it and then you looked at the picture afterwards and you said that just does not capture what it was that I saw that's what Paul is doing here He's saying, I wish I could describe it to you. I wish I could put it into words. I wish I could explain it in a way that you would fully understand it and fully grasp it, but I can't. It's just, you will experience this love that is beyond knowledge. You will know something that I could not describe to you. I I can't put it into your head. You gotta feel it. You gotta experience it. You gotta know it in your heart. And what'll happen is that you will come to see the world and you will start to look at your own life in it the way Jesus does. And that's the supernatural transformation that happens. So what is it that keeps us from experiencing that reality? Why don't we? I think it's this. Because I have a feeling I know what you're thinking because it's exactly what I think. It goes somewhere along these lines. Okay, if I did that, if I truly gave up my rights and my self-interest and I started caring for other people, more than I care about myself, here's the big question. Who's going to take care of me? Right? I mean, isn't that deep down inside, you're listening to this, and it goes, wow, that, that, that's, that's a powerful message. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, I took really, really good notes. Yeah, you know, that, that makes a whole lot of sense to me. But deep down inside of you, you're saying, yeah, but you don't know. That, 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 that doesn't really work. Because you don't know my family. <laughs> You, you don't know my neighbor. You don't know my coworkers. You know, if I did that, I would just be so taken advantage of. I would just, I would miss out on everything. I would just, I would lose everything. You know, I just, yeah, yeah it all sounds really good, and yeah, intellectually, yeah, I, I kind of buy into that. But the reality is, I know how life works, and it doesn't work that way. And if I did that, I would just lose out. It's what every one of us thinks. Be honest. It's truly what we think down inside. That if we really did that. We'd be losers. We'd be taken advantage of. It wouldn't work. And that's why I think Paul ends with this idea. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Amen. What he's saying is, whatever you think you might lose, whatever you think you might have to give up, whatever you think that might go in the lost column on your side, I'm just telling you, God can more than make up for it. That if you really tried this, if you really put this into practice, whatever you think would be a loss to you, God will make up far more to it. in Ways that you can't possibly imagine. Yes, you might lose over here, but you will gain tremendously over here. What if? What if we as a church, what if each of us individually, because we are the ones who make up the church, what if we actually decided to try this? What if we actually this week made it our prayer? God, would you? by the power of your Holy Spirit establish your dwelling within me that I would surrender my rights and my self-interest so that I might be rooted and established in love that I might experience how wide and long and high and deep your love truly is I think it might be worth the risk would you drop, bow your heads with me? It really is as simple as love God, love people. But that is incredibly demanding and incredibly difficult. That's why he makes it a prayer. Because you cannot do this in your own strength. Your, your, your fallen human nature will fight against it at every turn. But if you would be willing this afternoon to say, you know, in all honesty, I am more consumed with myself and taking care of number one than anybody else. But I would truly like to experience the kind of love that Paul prays for his church, that Paul prays for me. And I'm willing, at least today, to admit I can't do this on my own but I'm willing to surrender my rights to you God and by your strength and the spirit at work within me to start being a little more involved a little more caring about other people than myself and I can't do this on my own but I'm willing to take a first step and let you do it in me and if you're here today and you're just willing to say, "Yeah, I want to move in that direction. Not sure how it's going to work out. I know I can't do it in my own strength, but I'm willing to move in that direction. And I'm going to make a decision about that today. And this week, as you give me opportunity, remind me and show me how I might be a little more caring for those around me rather than consumed with myself. I would love to pray for you in that because I know I can't do that in my own strength. And I know you can't either. But God can do it in us and through us. So if you were willing to make that your prayer, would you just raise your hand and hold it up for a moment? I want to acknowledge you and pray for you. Yeah, 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 yes. Yeah, 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 Yes. yes, yes. Now, maybe you're here and you don't know the love of Christ because you never took that first step of faith. And for you, it's really kind of the same thing that people who have already raised their hands said. I'm giving up controls. I know myself. I know my own selfishness. I know my faults, my failures, my sin. God, I'm just asking that you would, by your grace, forgive me, reconcile me to you, reconcile me to those around me. I surrender and I give you control of my life. Show me how to live from the inside out. And you've never taken that first step of faith, you can do that right now. It's the same thing. Just raise your hand and hold it up for a moment so that I can see you and acknowledge you because I would love to lead you in a prayer as we close. Is there anyone? All right. So I'm going to invite us all to just make us our prayer. Lord, you know me, you know that I am self seeking you know that I'm always looking out for number one. It is my natural bent. But I want to live in your love and I want to extend your love to other people. And I know that means I got to surrender my rights. I got to bring you with all of my faults and failures and mistakes stumbling around in my sin. And I'm just saying, God, would you forgive me? And would you take over the controls and make that change in me to become a dwelling place for you so that my life might reflect your quality and your character and your values and that you might do that supernatural work of love in me. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.